The Royals have done seemingly all the right moves in the offseason, but I'm going to tell you why winning is the only thing that is going to win over the fan base. That's next on Locked on Royals. You are Locked on Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson, and always be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. It's also very easy to find us on wherever you get your podcast. That can be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts. We're also on YouTube, and if you are on YouTube, you probably can see our new and improved podcasting room. We've got the layout much better. We've got the lighting much better. So if you are going to start checking us out on YouTube, we'll just go over there and check out our channel and be our next subscriber. Our goal is to get to 1,000 by opening day 2024, which now for the first time in a long time seems like a real possibility. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. we got the NFL playoffs right around the corner, conference plays beginning in college basketball. There is no better time to go and get your FanDuel account created today and start placing some bets. There's also some early season bets for Major League Baseball on MVP winners, Cy Young winners, who's going to win the World Series. So again, after you listen to this podcast, go and create your FanDuel account today. Now, it's been a long time since we've actually brought you a podcast episode. You know, the the new year kind of spoiled some things. I was out of town, so I wasn't really able to get stuff set up. And plus, if you're watching this uh, on YouTube, you can see it took a little bit of time to get everything set up. But hopefully, it's a much better quality for you. It's much better sound quality. We got quite the setup over here. We're very excited to have all of this as we gear up for spring training and the start of the regular season. And I am pretty pumped about today's show, not only because we have all this new quality, but because there's a couple of things that I do want to dive into that I've been sitting on for a couple of days now, just because last time we had a show, I believe, was last Wednesday, and it's Thursday now, so over a week since we last brought you an episode, but I'm planning to get you an episode Thursday, Friday, and either Saturday or Sunday, depending on my schedule, but not to worry, we're going to hit that three-episode threshold, and then next week, back to more of a normal schedule where we can get you probably on Monday, on Wednesday, and then maybe Friday, but want to get more of an ironed-out schedule instead of having a week in between podcasts. But I did think it was a good time to open up today's show with a very important message uh, to those that maybe are overly optimistic. I, I think I would say that I am an optimistic person right now at this point in the season. That's not always going to be the case because, what, losing can breed negativity. And we know with this baseball club, losing has happened a lot. Losing has been pretty consistent since raising that World Series banner. But it does feel like this optimism has crept in because the Royals were so aggressive through free agency. Uh, they have continuously tried to build this team up to compete in a weak division. And I know at the end of the day that words at a press conference or even moves in general, they can show you a lot of things. They can show you, you know, I would say the majority of the picture, right? If you've got a front office and an owner, that is willing to spend money, 
that is willing to go out there and compete. That deserves respect in its own. We all know that deserves respect. But to a lot of fans out there, especially have been losing a long time, the only thing that is going to convince you that that matters, that spending money matters, that competing matters, is if you win baseball games. Now, it's a, a very simple thing to say. It really is. But I've had debates on Twitter. I've had debates on, on YouTube and in person about these moves for the Royals. And I tried to wrap my mind around, you know, why can't people get on board with what they're trying to do? You know, I still have people going, oh, it doesn't matter. They're going to lose 100 plus. And in baseball, anything can happen. Injuries can happen. Bad matchups can happen. You just never know. It's a long season. It's a marathon. But to me, I kind of just boiled it down to the best convincing argument of that you are doing things differently is simple. It's winning baseball games, which, as I said, this club has not done a lot of for quite some time. They have built themselves up this offseason to compete better than they have in any of the past five to six years. That is, I would say, unquestioned. You look at this roster, it should be able to compete better than just anywhere from 56 to 75 wins. On paper, this group should be better. Fangraphs think so. Talking heads in the media think so. Right, And we can fall victim to that. It's been a long time since anybody has given a darn about the Kansas City Royals. But this optimism is, is good to have, number one. I think that no matter if your team has spent money or not, new seasons brings new expectation. It's a breath of fresh air. Everybody's 0-0. And even though one team wins the World Series, it does not mean that you can't enjoy a season. And I think the goal this year is one win, right? That, that has to tie into this segment. They've got to win baseball games. They've got to be competitive. I think this team in general can compete throughout this season. A lot of factors have to go into it, but that's going to be the convincing argument, not just for the team. It's going to be for Matt Quattrero, who desperately needs this team to compete. J.J. Piccolo and John Sherman desperately need this team to compete because they did empty their pockets a little bit to assemble this roster. And though they weren't in on Shohei Otani, they were never in on Cody Bellinger. They never were in on the top guys out there, Yamamoto. And quite frankly, 90% of baseball was not in on those guys. Uh, so to me, it is so paramount for the direction of this club. So vital that winning at a consistent level is completed this year, I guess I should say. That if they can compete from the time they open it up at Kauffman Stadium against the Minnesota Twins at the end of March to the time they close the season in Atlanta at the end of September, if they can compete all season long, that's when the, the perception of this team changes. That's when you can build. There's been no foundation block placed, really, ever since they've won the World Series. they Anytime there's been a foundation block, it's been completely shattered. Somebody has screwed something up. And now this is the chance. This is the opportunity to win and change things. To change things for the better. Because if you are listening and you are a Royals fan, winning for one year is not the goal and shouldn't be the goal of J.J. Piccolo and John Sherman. The goal is to have 
sustainable success that's never been seen in this city before. That's the difference this go around. When the Royals won the World Series back in 14 and 15, or 15, excuse me, got to the World Series in 14 and 15, it was because the fan base was so starved. I think that felt like the pinnacle. That felt like the mountaintop. You win the World Series, we were starved for so long, we'll never get this feeling again. But the identity and the the willpower to do that again is something that is not always obtained by teams. It's not always obtained by front office people. Uh, They could look at it, pat themselves on the back and say, we did it that way. We're always going to do it that way for the rest of time. But what the Royals have not done since really the 80s is built a year in and year out successful baseball club that they could get to the postseason, fall short, but win 90 games in the next year. They're expected to win 85 to 90 again, or more than that. When the Royals won it in 15, the expectation was they could still compete in 16, but there was nothing ever done that the draft picks that didn't work out, free agent moves didn't work out, and by 2018, they were one of the worst teams in the league again. And when you were bad for so long, it kind of felt like, well, this is just the rotation you do. You win in 85, and then you wait 30 years, and then you wait 30 more. That shouldn't be what this is about. So to me, what this feels like is a great opportunity, a great moment for this franchise. Maybe it sounds dramatic. You can disagree with me. That's totally fine. Let me know in the YouTube comments below or let me know on Twitter. But this is a huge moment because if this goes right, if this team competes seriously for the first time in six or seven years, From start to finish, it's the foundation block they've been needing since they raised that banner, since they raised that flag. People are tired about hearing of, well, the flags fly forever. We'll always have 2015. That's fine, and nothing can take that away. But successful businesses, successful franchises, they want to build on that. Hey, we want it in 15, we want to win it in 16, and we don't want this window to close. And with small market clubs, windows close. But it's about making sure those windows are open longer. And the time the window is closed, it's not for that long. And that needs to be the goal of this team. They have set themselves up to win, which is the most convincing thing you can do in baseball. You can disagree with free agent moves. You can disagree with trades how the rotation looks, how the bullpen looks. If you win baseball games, all of that goes away. And there's not going to be a 90-95 win team in there. But if they play their cards right and they can win in the high 80s, mid 80s, give themselves a chance to compete in the Central, that's what I think every Royals fan is going to want. All right, we're going to take our first break of the show. When we come back, I have to back up my MJ Melendez take to a couple of people, in fact, the majority of people out there that disagree with it. I have to tell you why I think MJ Melendez is primed for a breakout. That's next on Locked on Royals. You are tuned into Locked on Royals on the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. And be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 15. Before we go any further, let's give a shout out to the title sponsor today in FanDuel. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. 
That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, and the best way to find popular parlays, and much, much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, the official partner of the NFL. So a couple of days ago, and if you do follow me on Twitter, you would have seen this. I took this approach of I kind of feel like I'm one of the few out there that believes in MJ Melendez more than the average fan really should. I think that there is this criticism that hovers around players, I think I should say, when just the team loses in general. And when you're the same age as another player on the roster, and maybe that player's better, the one that's not so good is going to get a lot of heat, a lot of criticism. I think MJ Melendez is one of those guys. Because what happened, unfortunately, for guys like MJ Melendez, guys like Kyle Isbell, guys like Brady Singer, guys like Jackson Cora, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubich, the 2018-19 kind of squad that all formed in single A, double A, and triple A. Now, they weren't all in the same draft class, but we all know the prospect bunch I'm talking about. The one that was talked up in Kansas City, I was one that believed in it. And that was foolish of me to think that everybody was going to work out and the way that it did back in 2009, 10, and 11. But MJ Melendez, to me, has always been that, that one guy that I really feel like deserves a little bit longer of a leash than some other guys. Uh, because I think the Royals have also developed this identity that when somebody leaves, somebody's traded their DFA, their cut, whatever the case may be, that player exceeds elsewhere. That some other team sees advanced metrics that the Royals clearly don't or they were willing to give up on. Ryan O'Hearn's a good example last year. Yoel Piams in Milwaukee is another great example. Both sides, offensively and at the plate. Now, it's not always the case, and the Royals aren't the lone team that that happens to. But when you lose a lot of games, it just feels a lot worse. Like every time we just let somebody walk, they go shine elsewhere. Well, probably because that team's better than Kansas City is. But MJ Melendez is absolutely one of those guys. If Melendez was to be let go like some people wanted to be or traded away, I believe he becomes a stud. Because I really do think there are just a few things that a hitter needs to have this ceiling that is much higher than the average offensive player. If you have raw power, number one, raw power and hit the ball hard. I'll put those in the same category. Raw power and hitting the ball hard. And you've got a tremendous walk rate or you have a great approach at the plate. The ceiling is really high. If you are a low walk guy, low on base guy, no, maybe you have the pop, maybe at the ball hard. I just, I don't see the ceiling being as high. But there's a reason that MJ Melendez is projected to be an above average hitter, despite everybody think his offensive numbers were terrible last year or the year before. They were not great. But there are factors to his game that make him desirable. He walks a good bit. He's got a lot of pop. He's athletic. He's got a strong arm. And also, for those that want him not starting every day, not playing in left field because of the defense, there's also a reason the Royals moved him from catcher to the outfield. Because he was willing to learn the spot. He's also athletic enough to do it. 
And I've had to repeat myself a couple of times on it, but I have no problem doing it. I think he was so disastrous defensively last year because he had to learn three positions. He had to learn how to catch and spend all offseason catching. Then he had to learn right field. Then he had to learn left field. Two positions that are incredibly difficult to learn. Like Kyle Schwarber was a catcher. They moved in the outfield. He's one of the worst defenders out there. But the offensive value, right? The raw power, the walk rate makes him an above average hitter. I don't want MJ Melendez hitting 185 like Kyle Schwarber does. But I think there is a player in there that's got 25, 30 home run potential. I think there's an outfielder in there that's athletic enough to not be an eyesore like he was last year. And also, the second half surge, everybody doesn't want to believe in, right? I think that some people have come to me and said, well, MJ played so well because there was no pressure. The Royals were out of it. They weren't good. Therefore, he can play in the the no pressure games. Well, I also want to bring up the fact that in the meaningless games or the no pressure games, that's when Bobby Wood Jr. became an MVP candidate. Bobby Wood Jr.'s OBP was, I think, around 280-something on like July 21st. Then he took off. Then he tore off. Now, the reason he was an MVP candidate, his defense was one of the best. He was one of the best defensive shortstops in all of baseball. He was electric on the base path. He had more raw power than, than MJ Melendez. He hit the ball harder than MJ Melendez. So all those things come together. He's a better player. I'm not trying to say that MJ Melendez is better than him. But MJ Melendez had a really good second half. And I feel like we love to look at Bobby Wood Jr.'s second half and say, that matters. Hey, I buy into it. But MJ's was not so much because he was so bad defensively. He's not as electric on the base path. And I just think that when you look at MJ from an offensive player standpoint, I believe there's something in there to work with. I think with protection in the lineup, I think with a much better start in April, you're looking at a above average hitter and a guy that can man left field just fine. Also, the other thing I, I love to look at, and I, I love the coachability aspect, is that MJ Melendez was willing to change just about every part of his game. Not good of a catcher, go play right field. Not that great of a right field, let's try left field. And the plate, he did that as well. And I remember it was right before the All-Star breaker, right after. He made the, the hand placement tweak. You've heard me bring it up before on this podcast. Raised his hands a little bit. Wasn't resting on his shoulder all the time. And that's when he took off. That's why I think a breakout is prime. It's not like he just was facing bad pitching or that he was getting luckier. That's a factor, right? When you're slumping and you're hitting the ball hard, you're unlucky. When those balls start to find the outfield grass, when they start getting past gloves, that's just hitting into luck. That happens over the span of 162. But when your numbers improve over a change in your stance, you know, Mike Moustakis is one of my favorite ones. Going the other way, changing his approach. Remember, the Royals had to demote Mike Moustakis. Not saying they're similar, but that's when I can buy into numbers more. When there's a tweak being made. Not just, hey, let's keep trying and eventually you're going to run into some luck. No, he did make adjustments. And that's why I think both offensively and defensively, we're going to see a better player. And also, when you're not struggling in the field in the way he was, the offense comes a little bit easier. You're not worrying about being such a liability. The arm strength is tremendous. He is an athletic player. And I think when you put that together and you get the full offseason of working in left field, you're going to see a much more valuable player for the Royals in 2024. If you disagree with my take, no problem with it whatsoever. Let me know in the YouTube comments below or on Twitter, or let me know uh, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, all those podcasting platforms where you can find us. 
All right, before we move on to our final segment, want to give a shout out to Locked On Sports Today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Well, the Royals are continuing to add to their front office, but more specifically in the international scouting department. We're going to dive in that next on Lockdown Royals. You are tuned into Lockdown Royals and the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. And be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore 1-5. You also can catch us on TikTok and Instagram at Locked underscore on underscore Royals. Going to be sure to get those accounts back up and running. It's been a very busy couple of weeks, so I do apologize on that front. But if you also want to download us and just listen to us via podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts can do it. You also can check out our brand new setup in this podcasting room on YouTube. So our channel is about 160 so subscribers away from 1K, which is our goal for opening day 2024. So if you want to check us out on YouTube, go be sure to give us a follow over there. Now, the Royals did make some more moves, not to the actual team on the field, not to their minor league system, but to their front office. And I think it is very important that we give at least six to seven minutes of a deep dive into that. Now it was announced today and it was kind of speculated. One of these names had already joined the organization, but it was reported by the Royals and Annie Rogers earlier this afternoon that Johnny DePuglia, I believe that's how you pronounce it, or DePuglia. Uh, he was promoted to special assistant of international scouting. He came over from the Washington nationals organization and Fred Guerrero was added as a coordinator of player of evaluation. He comes over from Minnesota. Now with both these guys, I think it is very good to know that it is in regard to the international scouting department. That is why both these guys were brought in, and DePuglia, and then also Guerrero. Uh, these are guys that had hit on some pretty big players, talented players, where you have to make the, the pick, you have to make the, the decision on a 16-year-old kid if they can become an all-star, an MVP, the best player in the league. Now, I will say this for DePuglia, or DePuglia, again, if I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, please somebody let me know in the comments, because I haven't been able to find any pronunciation sheet on it, or anybody that says his name on YouTube. So if you find that video, please send it over to me, so I'm not saying his name incorrectly. But we know in Washington, he was a part of signing Juan Soto. Big name, right? Also Victor Robles, so two-thirds of their World Series championship team in the outfield, he put together. He signed those players, Wander Suero was another name. And then over the course of his career, Hanley Ramirez, Anibal Sanchez, who pitched in Detroit for a number of years. A guy that has hit on a lot of top guys. And then with Jeff Guerrero, who comes over from Minnesota, he found Luis Arise, who was batting near 400 for the majority of the year in Miami. And also how much of a headache he was for the Royals to face when he was a twin. Miguel Sano was another name that he found. Yenier Cano, though the lights out back end guy for Baltimore. Yeah, he, he found him as well. And this is why it's so important uh, to point this out. Because in the last two months, the Royals have added three very well-respected names to their front office. Mainly in the scouting department as well. Brian Bridges being the other. But it is great to see that John Sherman, J.J. Bacole, the Royals as a whole, have recognized the international department needs a lot of help. They need to have more minds and minds that have found players before in a rebuild situation. 
Now, I think the Royals are not in the same rebuild they were back in 2018, but their scouting department, finding talent, their farm system, they're bare bones right now. They're close to bare bones. I wouldn't say they're the worst farm system in baseball, but they're not far from the bottom, and that's the issue. But whereas for years, it felt like the Royals never wanted to make that move, never wanted to make that change. It was the same minds. Oh, the guy that found Eric Hosmer, found Mike Moustakis, found Zach Grinke. They can do it again. But international department, the Royals hadn't really hit on many guys for a long time. Salvador Perez is their poster child of international scouting success. Jordano Ventura was another one. Calvin Herrera, of course, all three of those guys a part of a pennant-winning team. I think you can go a little bit further and think about Carlos Hernandez. Just getting to the bigs is a success. Michael Garcia, another one that can be a very big success. But the Royals haven't had their Ron Acuna Jr. I know they had an opportunity to sign him, but it's about finding a, a wider a wider range of players. I've always believed the Royals need to be more aggressive in Japan going after talent over there. They're actually, once the signing period opens, I think in two weeks, the Royals are going to sign the top available player from Cuba, who's 17 years old. I think he's number 16 or 17 overall in the rankings. No, they're trying to look elsewhere. And these type of moves to the front office are going to change a lot of things. It's different minds, and it's guys who have found talent and sustainable talent before. I applaud the Royals for acknowledging the flaws and the errors they've had in the past. And even if they believe in some guys that are still there, giving them the extra help is important. That is what you need to focus on. The Royals could have sat back and said, hey, everybody give us a give us a handshake, give us a pat on the back for signing Michael Walker and Seth Lugo and Hunter Renfro. You know, go out there and, and make us feel special. Now, we appease the fans, but... It seems like J.J. McCullough is really wanting to continue to add and set up the organization he wants. And that was something that was never going to be obtained or really achieved in one year. I think to some fans, you wanted to see things operated differently. And the common, you know, derogatory nickname he got was Dayton 2.0 for people that did not like Dayton Moore. And I I would say that I would be lying. I I could admit when I'm wrong. There were definitely times that I felt like J.J. McCullough was too similar to Dayton Moore. But whereas the patience had run out on a lot of fans, and at times it ran out on me, I wanted to see the immediate change. And now we're starting to see the immediate change in 2023, 2024, and it's not just with the team on the field. It's about finding people for the front office where you can make this a very savvy, a very analytically driven department. I mean, they did it with the coaching staff, right? Matt Quattrero, Paul Hoover, Brian Sweeney, Zach Bove, Alex Zuma, Keone Durant. That's a very analytical coaching staff. They were very much old school in the Mike Matheny era. They were old school in the Ned Yost era. But old school still worked very well, even seven to eight years ago. Now you have to be looking at the advanced numbers, the metrics. And bringing in people from other organizations that embrace that, that's important. Now at the Puglia... I do think that his addition is the most intriguing to me because it shows you what the Royals think of their international scouting department. So when he came to Washington in 2009, they were in shambles. 
farm system was in shambles. There had been a scandal to the international scouting. Like he needed to overhaul everything. And there was a great piece I read from Sean Doherty, I think, in the Washington Post, that along the lines called him the man who rebuilt the Nationals, or at least had a massive hand in rebuilding the Nationals. And that's a player, or that's a, that's a coach, that's a scout, that's somebody who has big influence on baseball you want in your organization. And Bob Nightingale of USA Today, when it was announced that he was resigning because Washington's kind of moving a lot of pieces in their front office, he resigned from his role in Washington. And at one point, he held the assistant GM role the year they won the World Series. Bob, Bob Nightingale of USA Today tweeted something that said, basically, the best free agent out there is now available in Johnny DePuglia because he was somebody that among baseball, everybody looked at and said, that is a guy who knows the sport, who knows how to find talent. And now Royals fans can be psyched about, excited about that the man who is dubbed to have rebuilt the Nationals, finding Juan, Juan Soto, bringing in lots of players of Latin descent from all over the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Cuba, Puerto Rico. He had a big hand in that. And then you bring in Guerrero from Minnesota. We know how talented the international department is with Minnesota. You know, when you when you brought up the couple players, Luisa Rise, Miguel Sano was another. I know Miguel Sano didn't really have that long of a career, but he had a, a pretty good stretch of one to two years, three years, where he was one of the more feared hitters in that lineup. Jorge Polanco, a switch-hitting shortstop who gave the Royals a lot of fits. Yenier Cano, another one. I mean... Minnesota is known for having a lot of Latin representation that comes from their international scouting department. And now with two of those names and Brian Bridges involved, can't wait to see what this group can do with their scouting department, not just internationally, but in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. And how can they start to assemble this minor league team, multiple minor league teams, and this minor league system? Hopefully the Royals are on their way up. Well, that is going to do it for another edition of Lockdown Royals on the Lockdown Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. Always be sure to give me a follow on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Before we go, one last shout out to Lockdown Sports Today. It's here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Lockdown, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Lockdown Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. Tomorrow, we are going to dive in a little bit more to the overall look of this bullpen. Also want to give a little bit more of an insight on Kyle Isbell and why I think he's maybe not as bad as people are expecting. And also if I believe that Michael Massey can be a breakout candidate at second base. But that is all coming up tomorrow. So until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.